After midnight on July 6, 2012, three teenage girls walked into the thick Appalachian woods somewhere along the Mason-Dixon County line. Hours later, under the glow of a nearly full moon, only two walked out. You may have heard about the Skylar Niece case of three teenage girls, a pact to kill, and one violent night under the stars deep in the West Virginia woods. But you've never heard it like this. From Waveland, I'm Holly Malay. And I'm Justine Harmon. This is Three. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. No matter where you are in life, when you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our card this week is Oki Al Kite, the Nine of Hearts from Colorado. This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, pause here and go back so you can follow along. In part one, we unpacked the beginning of the investigation into the murder of Oki Al Kite in Aurora, Colorado. Al was tortured and murdered in 2004, shaking that quiet community to its core. But early on, detectives had a suspect, Robert Cooper, a man who had rented out Al's basement and then disappeared, leaving a trail of phone numbers, addresses, and other identifying markers behind. Except they were all fake. When we left off, Agent Tom Sobieski with the Aurora Police Department was digging through Robert's phone records and tracking down all of the people he had called and he was about to make a discovery that left investigators scratching their heads. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. As Agent Sobieski started working his way down the list of people Robert had contacted before Al's murder, he noticed a pattern. A bunch of them had ties to the University of Colorado Hospital. Some of the renters only had placed ads like in the library at the University of Colorado Hospital. At that time, it was at 9th in Colorado or nearby businesses or in printed like directories for people that were renting to students. It's a teaching hospital. Some people only had their ads in those, so the killer had to be down there at the hospital, had to be going in the library, had to be going in nearby businesses to get the phone numbers to call the numbers he called. Out of everyone he called, Agent Sobieski discovered that Robert only met three other people in person. Two of them weren't really interested in talking with investigators or didn't have anything helpful to add. 
But the last one, a professor at the University of Denver who was renting out part of her home, described the unnerving feeling she got when she was giving this Robert guy a tour. She said as soon as he walked in the door, the the hair on the back of her neck stood up. And she thought something horrible was going to happen to her. He made comments about how he'd seen her ad for this townhome in in a ice cream restaurant called Licks, and he made some comment about sexual comment about it being Licks. And he never really answered, asked any questions that would be appropriate for if you're if you're gonna rent someplace. And so she felt that she was lucky that she survived. After the visit, she said that Robert left and never contacted her again. She didn't see if he'd left in a car or anything identifiable like that. She was just happy to be alive. It was an eerie story for sure. And it confirmed for investigators that Al's murder wasn't committed by someone he knew. This was probably completely random. And Robert could have just as easily picked someone else. There were older women that would have been easier to subdue. Older men, better locations, I feel, to murder someone. For some reason, he picked Al-Kite. We're not really sure why. Now, the woman was able to give Agent Sobieski a description of Robert. And much of it they had heard before. But she also said that he had a distinct voice. She noticed an accent as she's talking to him. And she teaches English and had done it for years. And she noticed the Romanian accent that he had. And he confirmed to her that he was Romanian. So here's the thing. No one else had mentioned any accent, much less something as specific as Romanian. But most of the other testimonies had come from people who didn't get a chance to talk to this guy. And this woman was actually an English professor. She spent her life studying language, so of course she picked up on it right away. From her description and some of the other testimonies, Agent Sobieski was able to get enough for a composite sketch. But since the description of Robert's age varied so much, he actually had two composites made. Agent Sobieski thought that this guy was most likely changing his appearance between each meeting on purpose so that no one would really be able to get an accurate description of him. Sometimes he acted and dressed like he was in his 30s, other times his 50s. So when making these sketches, he wanted to cover all of the bases just in case someone recognized him as one version versus the other. Now, here's something you might already be thinking about that just keeps sticking out in my mind. Some of these conflicting descriptions actually come from times when Robert was going to visit Al. So wouldn't Al have noticed? Like, oh, this guy looks different every time he comes over. While we can't know what Al thought at the time, Agent Sobieski told our reporter that his theory is the description of Robert we get from the neighbor, which is the one who says that he looks older, and had a cane, that one might not be as accurate as some of the others. But it was early in the investigation, and they were desperate to find this guy, so they wanted to include it just to cover all of their bases. They didn't get any hits from the composites right away. But that was okay, because they still had plenty of other leads. I mean, they weren't even done with the phone records yet. As Agent Sobieski was speaking to the woman, other investigators tracked down the serial number and the model of the phone to a company called Kiosera in Florida. When Agent Sobieski called that company to inquire about it, they were able to tell him where Robert bought the phone. It was purchased at a 7-Eleven about 23 minutes from Al's place. 
And when officers went to the convenience store, they were immediately hopeful that they would get something on this guy because there were security cameras. But as you all know, it is never that easy. 7-Eleven at that time maintained surveillance video for 30 days and he waited 31 days to activate the phone. Whether he knew that or was just lucky, I don't know. So there was no surveillance of him buying the phone. There was no record. They also couldn't track Robert's financial trail because the store's records showed that he paid cash for the phone. So they honed back in on the data from the phone, specifically the location data. And that proved that he traveled as much as possible to leave a harder trail to follow. But investigators were still able to tell that he had spent a lot of time near the hospital, which stuck out in Agent Sobieski's mind, thinking maybe this guy has some connection to the hospital. He knew about cell sites. Like I said, he traveled from Golden to, you know, far east Aurora and north to south to make calls. So he had that kind of knowledge back in 2004 that the police would use a cell site location to try to pinpoint where he lived or where he was calling from. That's something a lot of people didn't know back then. No. It seemed Robert was outsmarting investigators at every turn. He thought of everything, including thinking ahead of his time. But there was something the records told them that probably wasn't fake, and it gave them a clue as to what Robert's daily life may have looked like. You see, he didn't make any calls between 8 and 5, Monday through Friday. He'd do a lot of calls on weekends. It was evenings. So our theory is that he had some kind of a job where he was around people and couldn't make calls on that phone and discuss, you know, anything about renting. He didn't want any witnesses to that. There were also two to three weeks where no calls were made at all, which just brought police back to their hospital theory. If he were a student or faculty member at the teaching hospital and maybe they had a spring break or a vacation or something, he might not have been in the area. But there could have been another reason for the break in calls. Maybe he was incarcerated. So they decided to pour over records from all the jails in the area. But no one they came across fit. Now, to me, the timing of this gap is really important. And we know that it took place right in the middle of the phone records. But investigators couldn't tell our reporter when that was or even the exact number of days that the break lasted. Anyways, just as they were closing the door on the phone records, an investigative window opened. It took them 10 days to fully process Al's townhome, but the results were finally coming in and proving to be helpful. Luminol testing revealed blood residue in the shower, confirming that Robert cleaned off after the murder. But most importantly, they determined that the blood that they had found on the step in Al's basement wasn't Al's. So it had to be the killers, right? Well... Maybe not. Busy parents have enough on their plates without adding your children's homework to the list as well. IXL is an excellent resource for homework help, which is especially nice for parents who are rusty on school info themselves. And methods have changed over the years, too. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. It's designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. And you get one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. 
There's a reason why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. From studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. A month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. So now you can get your child the help they need at an affordable price. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And the deck listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com deck. Visit IXL.com deck to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I don't know about you, but I read reviews for everything. Mattresses I'm going to buy, restaurants I'm going to go to. If I'm going to spend my money, I want the best of the best. So why is it that we often don't treat our healthcare the same way? Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. I mean, it is your health for goodness sakes. There is nothing more precious. Find the doctors who will spend the needed time with you and be confident that they'll take good care of you because you know how they've taken care of other people. That is what I'm looking for when I look at the reviews. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance or are located near you and treat basically any condition you're searching for. Go to ZocDoc.com deck and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book top-rated doctors today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash deck. ZocDoc.com slash deck. The main thing that the investigation had proven to Agent Sobieski and his team was that the killer was smart. He'd outmaneuvered them far before he'd even committed the crime in the first place. And so to think that he'd be so sloppy as to leave his own blood at the crime scene, it seemed almost too easy. And so a new concerning theory started to develop. We thought this guy's this smart to go through all this to plan this homicide and he had some association with the hospital. What's to say he doesn't bring somebody else's blood and smear it on the the step going out of the basement? So that was a thought that we had, but we know that didn't happen. The thought that someone would bring another person's blood to the scene, specifically to throw investigators off, was chilling, to say the least. But just as quickly as that theory popped up, they put it to bed because the mystery person's blood wasn't just found on the step. They also had other samples from the bedroom that weren't Al's, samples that not only matched the blood on the step, but that were too mixed in with the rest of the blood to have been planted. There was so much blood evidence, and at the time, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, would only, they told us they were only going to test 10 areas. And with a whole room full of blood and walls and ceilings, we wanted to make sure we one of those 10 was a suspect. So we had CBI actually come out. We removed the whole carpeting from the basement. We laid it out in, in an evidence bay, and we went through it. And, and uh, it was fairly quickly. We had a profile, and then we ran it through CODIS, and we didn't get any any matches in CODIS. How had they gotten here? One of the most brutal crimes that these seasoned detectives had ever seen was committed by what? A ghost? 
Because that's what it's feeling like, right? Like he was invisible. How had no one seen or heard a thing when a crime scene was this vicious? That's what kept bothering Agent Sobieski. He'd been stuck on the fact that none of Al's neighbors said they heard any disturbances despite the hours of torture that they knew Al endured. And sure, he could have been gagged, but investigators didn't find any evidence that he was. So they decided to try and recreate the attack and see what they could hear. Agent Sobieski went out and stood in the yard and on the sidewalk while other detectives stood in the basement and screamed. And he didn't hear a thing. He even went into the home that shared a wall with Al's and tried the test again. I had a detective stand in the, where he was killed and scream at the top of his lungs and hit the walls, and I couldn't tell anything was going on. So it's just well built. Now, it's a little hard to go in order because so many things were happening all at the same time in this investigation. But earlier, like in the first week of the investigation, Agent Sobieski had a fraud detective looking into Al's financials since his wallet was missing from the scene. And now that was finally paying off. The detective had got a hit from Saturday night. Al's credit card was used at an ATM at the Wells Fargo Bank, which just so happens to be the same Wells Fargo Bank where, if you remember from episode one, Robert had told Al he worked at. Like, that was his whole reason for coming to town and needing the new place. Investigators rushed to the location and asked them if their ATM had a security camera. And it did. And yes, it was working that night. Investigators had finally caught a break. And when they got their hands on the still images from the ATM, they were over the moon because they finally had an image of Robert Cooper. Kind of. He was wearing gloves and a ski mask that only showed the bridge of his nose and his eyes. So really, it just confirmed that he was a white guy with, they think, dark eyes. But this is better than what they had before, which was basically nothing. You can actually take a look at that photo on our blog post for this episode. That's at thedeckpodcast.com. The video showed that Robert pulled up to the ATM at 9.59 p.m. in Al's truck and used his card to withdraw $1,000 from his account before pulling away. And it was interesting because he went to the Wells Fargo at 999 South Sable where he used the victim's credit cards. And one of the transactions he did was Oki Kite would direct deposit his paycheck And if you're a Wells Fargo customer, you can get a loan advance on your paycheck being deposited prior to the paycheck being deposited. The suspect knew that transaction and got money from Al's account, even though it wasn't there, based on the fact that he had an upcoming deposit of his paycheck. So that was some knowledge of the Wells Fargo system there as well. Pieces of the puzzle were falling in place. Slowly, they were learning more about Robert Cooper while also finally narrowing in on their timeline. They thought the attack on Al took place between 6 and 10 p.m. on Saturday night. And this includes everything, like the attack and cleanup. Then they believe Robert went straight to the ATM and then came back to ditch the car. But what really stood out to Agent Sobieski from the ATM visit was the amount of money Robert took. Any armchair sleuths out there want to check your notes? This guy could have borrowed against Al's full direct deposit, but he didn't. He took just $1,000, the exact amount that he paid Al for the rental agreement. He basically got his money back, but robbery wasn't the motive. You know, going to the ATM machine, driving the victim's truck, knowing that we'd see him was, I think, was all, all part of his 
his planned out murder. The further we went in the investigation, the more we, I don't want to say we were amazed by his, what he had done and the, the thought that had went into it, but it kind of made us all step back and think, you know, how long ago did this guy start planning this this crime to come up with the phone, you know, how he's going to pick a victim to go meeting people and picking the victim and then planning his crime, then doing the crime and then the ATM and then the, you know, on and on and on. It was a well orchestrated homicide. I mean, but there were a lot of thought went into it. Throughout the rest of 2004, they did everything in their power to follow every clue they could. They worked with Wells Fargo security from Aurora all the way to the East Coast, trying to determine if Robert really could be an employee. But they never identified a potential match. They also looked into students and teachers, basically anyone involved with the hospital. And there were a few leads that looked promising, specifically doctors from Romania who were visiting around the times of the murders, or even foreign exchange students. But eventually, all of them were ruled out by DNA. I thought maybe he came in and went to school for a few months and then did this murder while he was here for school. But we looked at people who delivered coffee, everything we could think of, you know, the hospital. We, security guards, we, the police department there, were, they were great helps, all the instructors. Professors got the composite drawings. We just didn't have any luck. Based on how spread out all the call sites were, Agent Sobieski thought Robert had to have had a method of transportation. But in all their witness sightings, no one had ever seen him with his own vehicle. We thought maybe he came there in a bus. We contacted RTD, the, all the bus drivers. We hit them all up with uh, composites. Uh, we did a lot of work on this case. I mean... Anybody we thought of, we checked every dumpster within miles of, you know, the, the bank up there, thinking that he may have dumped some clothing or, or whatever, but we never found any evidence. But we, we this spent a lot of work on this case. Eventually, the leads they had all dried up, and the case went cold. But Agent Sobieski and the other detectives never forgot about it. In 2006, they consulted with the FBI who put together a case bulletin that was uploaded to VICAP. VICAP is a nationwide database of evidence and other relevant resources from violent crimes overseen by the FBI. It has a lot of information stored up, but Agent Sobieski didn't get any positive hits with his case, meaning that Robert's DNA didn't match up with DNA samples from any other cases stored in the system. That same year, though, the FBI sent profilers from the Behavioral Analysis Unit to try and give investigators a little more insight into who this Robert guy could be. I kind of agree with the, the FBI that this guy is a normal guy during the daytime, and he has a job from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, which the phone records kind of show, and that you would not know he's a killer, and that he was looking for somebody to kill, and he planned this perfect murder, and he had some knowledge he'd be really interested in like crime shows that he possibly was a police officer or maybe was fired from a police department or security guard who couldn't get hired as a police officer who wants to challenge the police to catch him you know some kind of a maybe a minor criminal history and that he's definitely worked his way up to this because you don't start a crime like this this would not be a beginner's luck murder. This was very well planned out and 
months of planning and very patient. In 2008, Agent Sobieski was contacted by some officers in Omaha, Nebraska, who had a possible lead. They had been dealing with a string of murders that had some striking similarities to Al's case. Two people had been murdered that year in their homes, and investigators thought that they might be connected because both victims were related to doctors and teachers at the local university, and they were stabbed excessively, one more than 15 times. None of the four people in Omaha had been tortured, but even though the MO wasn't exactly the same, Agent Sobieski looked into the possible connection because it would fit in with his theory that Robert was connected to the hospital in some way. And, you know, maybe Robert had been transferred there or was continuing his studies at that university. I'm not sure about all the details regarding that investigation, but what I do know is that ultimately that lead turned into yet another dead end. They made an arrest in theirs and it wasn't, wasn't the, the, the motive was, was different. The, the suspect in their case had been terminated by these people and his career was ruined, he felt. So that's why he was the motive for their killings. It would turn out that that wasn't the end of strange coincidences. Because in 2009, there was another suspicious murder. This time, it was out in California where a man was found in his home with his hands bound and multiple stab wounds. But what really grabbed Agent Sobieski's attention was that this man had a connection to Al. Plan your next trip to the city in the Ozarks, Springfield, Missouri. This foodie's paradise is an outdoor lover's dream and a family's best memory maker. This craveable culinary scene is home to hundreds of locally owned restaurants with an amazing craft beverage scene featuring breweries in very unique locations, including a former fire station, an old radio station, and a retired bread factory. Beyond bites and beverages, Springfield, Missouri is home to some of the country's most popular attractions. In fact, Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium has been voted America's best aquarium five times by USA Today. This isn't your typical aquarium or wildlife museum. It's right next door to the Bass Pro Shop's original and largest store, packed with free exhibits the whole family will love. There is even more to explore outside in Springfield, Missouri. Get lost in the great outdoors and experience the many parks and trails. Water lovers can float, boat, and kayak the nearby waterways or travel deep into some of Missouri's oldest and most breathtaking caves. Start planning your next adventure by visiting springfieldmo.org to plan your trip today. Produced in cooperation with Visit Missouri. Over the years, I have fallen in love with traveling. But one of the things that always gives me just a little bit of anxiety is traveling to another country where I may not speak the language. Because I really do want to be respectful, and I'm just not the fastest learner when it comes to foreign languages. But recently, my husband and I went to Paris, and he learned just a little bit of French beforehand. And I couldn't believe how well he did and how well it was received by the locals, even when there was a bit of confusion. So I decided to follow his lead and sign up for Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish, and offers this feature called True Accents that gives you feedback on your pronunciations, which truly is a game changer for me. You can use it on your computer or as an app for your phone with the ability to download a session should you be offline and unable to access internet, so you can keep that learning going. Don't put off learning that language. 
There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Deck listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash deck. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash deck today. The man's name was Lee Scott Hall, and he had worked in the same building as Al back when Al lived in California prior to 2000. Now, they didn't work for the same company, but still, it was a weird coincidence. Weird enough for Agent Sobieski to look into it. We talked to all Mr. Hall's co-workers were interviewed. He never mentioned Okie Kite. We interviewed all, re-interviewed all of Okie's family, friends. He never mentioned any Mr. Hall or that he was the fact that he was murdered or that he knew him or anything. Officers at the Livermore Police Department then told Agent Sobieski that they had confirmed sightings of a suspect and a motive which actually didn't match in Al's case. Mr. Scott was a whistleblower on a government project where possibly billions of dollars had been wasted, and they thought he was murdered because he was a whistleblower, that type of thing. Um, That case has never been solved. The suspect in that case, they don't have DNA, but the suspect in that case seen in the driveway of the victim, Mr. Hall's residence that day was a black male which would eliminate him from our crime. The years dragged on with fewer and fewer leads. And by the 10-year anniversary, this case was ice cold. Agent Sobieski still did his due diligence, though. He updated VICAP every year and followed every new lead that came his way. The case was featured countless times in local media and got spots on TV shows like America's Most Wanted and Sensing Murder. Over the years, it gained some notoriety, and everyone who heard about it developed their own theories. One of the most popular being that maybe Al was a victim of the serial killer Israel Keys. Israel, who we actually did an episode on for Crime Junkie back in 2019, was a notorious serial killer who murdered at least three people across the U.S., although the true number of his victims isn't really known because he never left any substantial evidence behind, just like Al's killer. He was arrested in 2012 and died by suicide that December while in custody before he was ever tried. Despite similarities, though, Israel's DNA wasn't a match to Robert's. Another theory from a lot of the online chatter was that Al's killer was connected to the murder of a man named Mike Emmert. Mike was a real estate agent killed in the home that he was hired to sell in Washington in 2001. And this one, this one has eerie similarities. Mike was stabbed multiple times, and while it doesn't seem like he was bound in any way, his wallet and his car were stolen. But that's not the eerie part. Officer's main person of interest was an unknown man who had met Mike's family a few times and walked with a cane that they believed was fake and part of a ruse. But once again, they would hit a brick wall. Because investigators had a DNA sample from Mike's crime scene to compare with Robert's, and it didn't match. Agent Sobieski still kept pressing on. And as DNA technology continued to advance, he finally got something solid. In 2017, the CBI was able to use new methods called phenotyping and genetic genealogy to build a better profile of Robert. So Parabon Nanolabs can take a DNA profile, put it in their database, and they can tell you with quite a high degree of certainty 
what color skin your suspect will have, what color his eyes will be, what color his hair will be. If he'll have freckles, they can tell you what part of the world he came from, and they can put all that information into a computer and they can give you a composite of him. The results said that Robert was most likely Romanian, with brown hair and brown or hazel eyes. They created and released a new digital composite of Robert and even made an age-progressed version to show what he would have looked like at the time they were made, in 2017. But the new composites didn't bring any new leads, and they couldn't find any trace of anyone in Robert's family using genealogy. We're talking not even distant relatives. Which, for Agent Sobieski, confirmed that Robert and his family most likely lived outside of the U.S., So even though this didn't pan out and point directly to their killer, maybe their theory that he was a foreign exchange student or a visiting doctor did have some weight after all. Agent Sobieski worked with Interpol and Homeland Security to get the DNA uploaded into some of their international systems, hoping that they'd get some sort of hit there. But they still ended up with nothing. Which means, you guys, this man's DNA hasn't shown up in any other crime scenes anywhere else in the world. Or at least, it hasn't been uploaded to any systems. It seems unreal, right? Was this some perfectly planned out crime, just one and done? Or did he get better and leave even less behind? If he was smart enough to know about cell phone pings and the window of surveillance footage and burner phones, maybe he was smart enough to completely change his MO altogether. You understand now why this case gnaws at me, right? Because you can see Robert Cooper in any unsolved case if you really want to, if he really is that clever. In 2019, with not a whole lot to lose, investigators allowed Al's case to be featured on the Oxygen Network show The DNA of Murder with Paul Holes. Their production team traveled to Aurora, and it was actually a member of their team that stumbled upon an interesting piece of information. They learned about a group called the Turkish Hezbollah, which is a mostly disbanded terrorist group in Turkey. But while they were active, they had some gruesome torture techniques. That came up as part of the falaka, is what the term is for the the beating in the bottom of the feet. It's certainly a theory that I haven't ruled out. They use that type of torture, and it, it's from you know that area of the world, so I certainly haven't ruled it out. The idea that Robert could have been affiliated with this group in some way, or at least taken inspiration from them, was definitely interesting. But unfortunately, the theory didn't help push the case forward. It ended up becoming another bit of information to add to the 17 three-ring binders Agent Sobieski had filled out over the course of his investigation. And that's really all he has. Bits of information that have never quite fit together to form a full picture of Al's killer. The case remained frozen as Agent Sobieski retired in 2021, after more than three decades with the department, almost half of which he spent on Al's case. But that wasn't the end of the road for the investigation. In January 2022, Detective Jason McDonald became a cold case detective for the Aurora Police, and he was assigned Al's case. He hit the ground running trying to dig up new leads, and it wasn't long before an interesting one found its way to him. In the spring of 2022, he was contacted by the FBI about a 2009 murder that took place in Lincolnshire, England. And that case matched Al's. The victim's name was Alan Wood, and he was in his 50s when he was found murdered in his home. 
He'd been stabbed, tortured, even had a knife wound to his head, just like Al-Qaeda. His cause of death was also a cut to his throat. And not only did they find some of his killer's DNA, but the man had even been photographed around the region wearing a mask and using Alan's credit card at ATMs. We have a picture in the blog post for this episode of All That as well. Now, that crime was still unsolved. And Detective McDonald was over the moon when he learned that they had Alan's killer's DNA on file. So they went ahead and compared that sample with Robert's. The test took a few weeks, and Detective McDonald was shocked to learn that it wasn't a match. But he was just getting started. Since then, he's been able to once again utilize updated technology to inch the investigation ever so slightly closer to the finish line. He's connected with a local organization called United Data Connect, and they've been retesting Robert's DNA and digging deeper into his genealogy. So when you upload your DNA to like FamilyTreeDNA.com and law enforcement, and you opt in for it being accessible to law enforcement and say, we have a suspect DNA profile that we're trying to find in that database. And we get something that has a a relative match to it. It'll give a value, uh, like on a scale of one to a hundred, for example, a hundred would be a very high number as an example. Using this process, United Data Connect was able to find what Detective McDonald says is a high-value match to Robert's DNA, about 41%. There is some relation to our killer's DNA, but it's not super high. So we're looking in the third to fourth cousin range, which would mean our killer and this person who's uploaded their DNA into FamilyTreeDNA.com have about... They probably have the same great-great-grandparents. So it's going to be a pretty big family tree to map out, but there is a relation. And I've been working on contacting them to try to map out their family tree and get more people, more males in their family tested with DNA kits to narrow down this killer profile. There is some hesitancy, and I think it's understandable when you get a cold call from a a person saying they're a detective in another state who has seen your profile and wants to dig more about your family history to find a killer in your family, I think that cold call can be quite intimidating and cause some hesitancy in some people. And that's the kind of uh, roadblock I face with, with this part of the job. Ultimately, Detective McDonald says that he will most likely have to travel to this family and get additional samples himself in order to complete their family tree and bring them one step closer to Al's killer. But it's just about finding the time in his schedule. I mean, Al is only one of dozens of cold cases on his plate. The DNA is the key to unlocking the mystery of Robert's identity. And that's beyond important, because not only did this guy end Al's life in such a horrific way, but investigators believe he's done something similar before. And the longer he is able to be free out in the world, the more likely he is to do it again. Well, I've been an officer for 35 years here with the Aurora PD, and this is the, the biggest case I've ever had here. And I think about this case quite often. I could honestly say that this case comes to mind even though I'm retired for a year, probably once a week. Al was such a nice guy, and he was targeted for no reason and murdered. You know, he had family, and I met his Al's sister. And, I mean, the family's just 
crust beyond. If you can imagine your brother being found like this, we all feel kind of guilty that we can't solve it because that was our job and Al was such a nice guy. If you have any information about Al's case or Robert's real identity and whereabouts, don't hesitate to reach out. If you were in or around Aurora in 2004, you may have seen this guy, even if you didn't realize it before. He was white, with brown hair and brown eyes, likely. And while he didn't have any tattoos or markings that would make him stand out, he did have that recognizable Romanian accent. And he may have frequented Wells Fargo locations or the university hospital. If this information jogs your memory even a little bit, you can call Detective McDonald at the Aurora Police Department at 303-739-6013. Metro Denver Crime Stoppers is also offering a reward of up to $2,000 for tips, and you can call them at 720-913-7867. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7, it's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, Four, come explore Melbourne and the beaches. Three, two, one. It's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com/offer/siriusxm.